The talk you're about to hear is by Zen teacher Sensei Amala. Today is the 29th of November 2022 and we're continuing from the text that we were looking at in the two-day hybrid urban retreat, our appointment with life, the Buddha's teaching on living in the present and this is um, uh, translated with a commentary by Thich Nhat Hanh and then translated from the Vietnamese into English by Annabelle Laity. And the, the central teaching on this, of this um, text is uh, summed up in one of the gutters that is um, given in the text. Let go of what is past, let go of what is not yet. Observe deeply what is happening in the present moment, but do not be attached to it. This is the most wonderful way to live alone. This, um, uh, the theme running through these texts, um, closely related suttas, is um, the better way to live alone. Um, Alone in the sense of all one. not uh, being deceived by thinking that one has to reject society or live apart from the world in order to practice this. Um, But to live, to be living deeply the present moment, to be um, aware of what is going on. I found a wonderful passage from uh, Shoto Harada Roshi, which um, describes the, the, the Zen approach to this um, being deeply aware of the present moment, living in the present moment, which is giving a, a wholehearted attention to our experience what we are seeing, but also what is seeing, the same with the other senses, hearing, tasting, and so forth. What is this? What is this mystery of being, uh, existing and sensing? It's quite short. I'll read this this passage to, to you all. Our focus has to be on our essence, not on concepts of doing good and avoiding bad. All of the seasons, all of the times of the day are right in this very moment where there is nothing but this absolute truth. In the spring, we become one with the flowers. In summer, we become one with the breeze. In autumn, we become one with the moon. In winter, we are one with the snow. We transform with each of these. We transform in the morning, the afternoon, and the night. And in this way, we know Buddha nature directly. What is it? Keep that question to the point where it becomes what is seeing and what is being seen, what is hearing and what is being heard, what is smelling and what is being smelled, all melted into one and merged completely to the point where you cannot even know whether it is you sitting in the zendo or if the zendo, it is the zendo that is sitting. 
We need to keep going non-stop, without a break, asking, what is it? What is it? What is it? Otherwise we are wasting our precious time. Keep that question going to the point where it becomes what is seeing and what is being seen, what is hearing and what is being heard, what is smelling and what is being smelled, all melted into one and merged completely to the point that life energy, that that life energy that fills your ears and fills your eyes and does the hearing and does the seeing and you will know its deepest root, not from your head, but from your experience. The blowing wind sounds and you become the wind sound. The bell rings and you become its ringing. There is nothing beyond that. In one in instant, any of these may come forth from our ears as hearing. There is no division between inner and outer, between the world of myself, the act of hearing and that which is being heard. This place where there is no separation at all can only be spoken of as love. This place where there is no separation at all can only be spoken of as love. This place with, with no boundaries where we are all one, nothing outside. Now back to where we left off in the text on Sunday. We're looking at a, um, a section entitled Internal Formations. You could say these are what get in between us and this uh, experience of no boundaries or love, pure love. What dynamics of, in our consciousness compel us to go back and live with the images of the past. These forces are made up of internal formations, Sanskrit samojana, mental factors which arise in us and bind us. Things we see, hear, smell, taste, touch, imagine, or think can all give rise to internal formations. Desire, irritation, anger, confusion, fear, anxiety, suspicion, and so on. Internal formations are present in the depths of the consciousness of each of us. Internal formations influence our consciousness and our everyday behavior. They cause us to think, say, and do things that we may not even be aware of because they compel us in this way. They are also called fetters because they bind us to acting in certain ways. We, even when we don't want to act in a certain way, we, we, we do. It's this, we see when these things, 
when we say or do something that we later uh, regret, we, we are seeing that we are not free entirely, that when we have to um, really pay attention to these, these internal formations so that we can liberate ourselves from them. The commentaries usually mention nine kinds of internal formations. Desire, hatred, pride, ignorance, stubborn views, attachment, doubt, jealousy, and selfishness. Among these, the fundamental internal formation is ignorance, the lack of clear seeing. Ignorance is the raw material out of which the other internal formations are made. It's, a, I think, a helpful way of putting it. The ignorance is the raw material for these fetters. Although there are nine, because desire is always listed first, it is often used to represent all the internal formations. Uh, he goes on to talk about how in one of the the suttas that uh, talk of the better way to live alone, the monk Kachana explains, My friends, what is meant by dwelling in the past? Someone thinks, in the past my eyes were like that, and the form with which my eyes was in contact was like that, and thinking like this, she is bound by desire. Bound by desire there is a feeling of longing. This feeling of longing keeps her dwelling in the past. Kachana's commentary could make us think that the only internal formation holding one in the past is desire, but when he speaks of desire, he's using it to represent all the internal formations, doubt, hatred, jealousy, and so forth. All of these tie us and hold us back in the past. And if we look at, if we look at our own experience, we may be able to quite quickly identify one or two which we, we particularly struggle with. Things that hold us back, things, things that, that take us out of this present moment that we become preoccupied with. Sometimes we only have to hear the name of someone who has wronged us in the past and our internal formations from that time are more to automatically take us back into the past and we really relive the suffering. The past is the home ground of both painful and happy memories. Being absorbed in the past is a way of being dead to the present moment. It is not easy to drop the past and return to living in the present. When we try to do it, we have to resist the force of the internal formations in us. We have to learn to transform our internal formations so that we will be free to be attentive to the present moment. Um, think of a helpful little um, formula from uh, Master Sheng Yin. He says we have to, when we're working with our difficulties, different habit patterns and formations, we have to face, face them, accept them, deal with them, and then let them go. 
face, accept, deal with, let go. We, we can't do anything at all until we face th these things and, and, and recognize them. And then to accept them, because we can't really deal with them before we have accepted that this is what we have going on in us. And then dealing with it, coming to terms with it, working with it, and then then we might be able to let go. Often we want to skip these steps and go straight to the letting go. And then it becomes more getting rid of is the, is the, the motive, which isn't helpful. It just gives the pattern more energy. Could t uh, take an example here of, um, of a, uh, bearing a grudge. And how when we when we hold on to some wrong that has been done to us, uh, we're actually replaying the hurt. Mentioned in the in the previous talk, um, the importance of forgiveness and realizing that we 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 don't forgive for the person who's being forgiven so much. We, we forgive in order to free ourselves from the, the internal formations that come from that hurt. Martin Luther King said, um, forgiveness is not an occasional act. It is a permanent attitude. For African Americans, this makes absolute sense given the, the, the history and the ongoing racism that, that exists in their country. To, to free oneself from, from such oppression uh, takes a permanent attitude of forgiveness. So as not to be weighed down by by the uh, anger that comes up in such a situation. Someone once said, those who cannot forgive others break a bridge over which they themselves must pass. Then, if we have the, if we we if we can't bring ourselves to forgive, then we won't. We will. It's also likely that we won't be um, able to forgive ourselves. This this insight is right there in the in the the, the Lord's Prayer in Christianity. How does it go? Forgive the. 
Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them who trespass against us. These two, these two go together. Mariana Kaplan from The Way of Failure uh, talks about forgiveness. She says, real self-love comes from a profound self-acceptance. It involves seeing with great and ruthless self-honesty the actual state of who we are as we are situated today, of understanding the forces that formed us as we are, of realizing that whereas we are fully responsible for the weaknesses we enact, we are not the original cause of them, and then of forgiving ourselves such that we accept the whole of our current condition, including our strengths and our weaknesses. She says here, we're not the original cause of our weaknesses. You th think of... Um, the hurts, the different things that that um, that we suffer at the hands of our parents. And you just have to realize that they too had parents who were um, human, limited, and ignorant in different ways. And they had parents, and they had parents. This... this uh, chain of suffering comes down to us and is what we are called upon to work with. our text. This section is called The Present is also made up of the past. The present contains the past. When we understand how our internal formations cause conflicts in us, we can see how the past is in the present moment, and we will no longer be overwhelmed by the past. When the Buddha said, do not pursue the past, he was telling us not to be overwhelmed by the past. He did not mean that we should stop looking at the past in order to observe deeply. When we review the past and observe it deeply, if we are standing firmly in the present, we are not overwhelmed by it. The materials of the past which make up the present come, become clear when they express themselves in the present. We can learn from them. If we observe these materials deeply, we can arrive at a new understanding of them. That is called looking again at something old in order to learn something new. I think um, psychotherapy would be an example of this, where we, we look into our personal experience as a way of um, coming to a better understanding of ourselves right now. 
If we know that the past also lies in the present, we understand that we are able to change the past by transforming the present. The ghosts of the past which follow us into the present also belong to the present moment. To observe them deeply, recognize their nature, and transform them is to transform the past. The ghosts of the past are very real. They are the internal formations in us which are sometimes quietly asleep, while at other times they awaken suddenly and act in a strong way. There's actually uh, one of the uh, preliminary koans uh, that people take up is, what would you do if you were, if you were to meet a ghost? How would, we, how would you react? In Buddhism, there is a Sanskrit term, anusaya. Anu means along with. Saya means lying down. We could translate anusaya as latent tendency. The internal formulations continue to be with us, but they are lying asleep in the depths of our consciousness. We call them ghosts, but they are present in a very real way. According to the Vijnanavada school of Buddhism, anu, Anusaya are seeds which lie in the everyone's alaya consciousness. Just, um, just a couple of things to explain here. The the Vijnanavada school of Buddhism is the is the um, consciousness-only school, and um, alaya consciousness is a way of talking about our uh, deep mind. It means storehouse consciousness. So it's where these these seeds get that get stored. An important part of the work of observation meditation is to be able to recognize the anusaya when they manifest, observe them deeply and transform them. So to have in situations to, to realize um, when there might be an, a latent tendency, a, a dormant um, karmic seed that, that comes to life in some encounter. Um, sometimes we can meet somebody and we just have a very strong negative reaction to them. Um, somebody you, you just don't see eye to eye with, you, you, you may have this experience in a work situation, and it's mysterious, why can't I get on with this person? And it may be, if there's a very powerful emotional reaction, that, that somehow this person is, is pressing our buttons. Uh, exciting or, or waking up into latent tendencies in us. And it can be helpful just to be able to, to recognize this or have this as a possibility. And in some way, um, this is happening to us for a reason.
next section is, is headed up, do not lose yourself in the future. Sometimes, because the present is so difficult, we give our attention to the future, hoping that the situation will improve in the future. Imagining the future will be better, we are better able to accept the suffering and hardship of the present. But at other times, thinking about the future may cause us a lot of fear and anxiety, and yet we cannot stop doing it. The reason we continue to think about the future, even when we do not want to, is due to the presence of internal formations. Although not yet here, the future is already producing ghosts which haunt us. In fact, these ghosts are not produced by the future or the past. It is our consciousness which creates them. The past and the future are creations of, of our consciousness. To be able to recognize this when we're actually thinking about the future, already the, then uh, we're not so beholden to the process. We can recognize this, catch ourselves. The energies behind our thinking about the future are our hopes, dreams and anxieties. Our hopes can be the result of our sufferings and failures. Because the present does not bring us happiness, we allow our minds to travel into the future. We hope that in the future the situation will be brighter. When someone thinks how his body will be in the future, how his feelings will be in the future, this is quoting the Sutta, how his mental factors will be in the future, how his consciousness will be in the future. Thinking in this way can give us the courage to accept failure and suffering in the present. The poet Truvu said that the future is a vitamin for the present. Hope brings us back some of the joys of the life we have lost. Thinking here when I read this uh, this afternoon, uh, thinking of the people of Ukraine and how the terrible hardships and losses that they're going through, it may be that the, the one thing that is, is sustaining them is uh, a hope, prospect of uh, the war ending and victory. He continues, we all know that hope is necessary for life, but according to Buddhism, hope can be an obstacle. If we invest our mind in the future, we will not have enough mental energy to face and transform the present. Naturally, we have the right to make plans for the future, but making plans for the future does not mean to be swept away by daydreams. While we are making plans, our feet need to be firmly planted in the present, we can only build the future from the raw materials of the present. The trick is to, to stay grounded with this and, and not allow ourselves to get caught up in, in wishful thinking because hopes will, unrealistic hopes, just, just lead to disappointment, frustration. Quite often people will come to Dr. San saying that they're feeling frustrated and uh, the, the thing we should ask ourselves when we're experiencing frustrating, fr frustration 
is what do we what are we expecting what are we hoping for The essential teaching of Buddhism is to be free of all desire for the future in order to come back with all our heart and mind into the present. To realize awakening means to arrive at a deep and full insight into reality, which is in the present moment. In order to return to the present and to be face to face with what is happening, we must look deeply into the heart of what is said is and experience its true nature. When we do so, we experience the deep understanding which can release us from suffering and darkness. Think back to um, what the beginning of the talk and what Shoto Harada was, was saying about um, entering so fully into the present moment that subject and object are dissolved, merged. According to Buddhism, hell, paradise, samsara and nirvana are all here in the present moment. There's a story about a, a, a samurai warrior coming to see a master and asking the master, please teach me about heaven and hell. And the master says, scowls at him and says, you filthy samurai, why should I even bother to, to, to give you any teaching? And the samurai you know, bristles, picks up his sword, and is about to um, bring it to the neck of the, of the master. And the master says, there is hell. And then the samurai, realize, realizing what he had done, makes a deep bow before the master. And the master says, and there is heaven. Hell and paradise only here in this present moment and in us, in our in our being. To return to the present moment is to discover life and to realize the truth. All the awakened ones of the past have come to awakening in the present moment. All the awakened ones of the present and future will realize the fruit of awakening in the present also. Only the present moment is real. The past no longer is and the future has not yet come. If we do not stand firmly in the present moment, we may feel ungrounded when we look at the future. We may think that in the future we will be alone with no place of refuge and no one to help us. When someone thinks how his body will be in the future, how his feelings will be in the future, how his mental factors will be in the future, how his consciousness will be in the future, such concerns about the future bring un about unease, anxiety and fear and do not help us at all in taking care of the present moment. They just make our way of dealing with the present weak and confused. I think this um, growing, growing old is a, is a ripe field for this kind of um, 
thinking about the future, just imagining that things are going to get worse in a, in, in a uh, inexorable kind of way. There is a Confucian saying that a person who does not know how to plan for the distant future will be troubled and perplexed by the near future. This is meant to remind us to care for the future but not to be anxious or fearful about it. The best way of preparing for the future is to take good care of the present because we know that if the future is made up of the past, then the future, if the present is made up of the past, then the future will be made up of the present. All we need to be responsible for is the present moment. Only the present moment is within our reach. To care for the present is to the care for the future. So we could, one of the ways that we can care for the future, for instance, is um, by living frugally so that we can save for retirement. And that's, that's grounded, that's sensible. If we take it too far though, then we become, become miserly and, and anxious about the future and can't enjoy the present. So it is a matter of find, finding our way with this. The past and future both lie in the present. When we think about the past, feelings of regret or shame may arise. When we think about the future, feelings of desire or fear may come up. But all of these feelings arise in the present moment, and all of them affect the present moment. Most of the time, their effect does not contribute to our happiness or joy. We have to learn how to face these feelings. The main thing we need to remember is that the past and the future are both in the present. And if we take hold of the present moment, when, then we also transform the past and the future. Recognizing our, our regrets about the past and our fears about the future, our anxieties, recognizing them as thoughts and as, as stories that we make. The Buddha said something about the future. He said, whatever you think it will be, it will always be something different. If the, the big difference between our thoughts about the future and, and uh, things occurring when they occur is that our thoughts about the future are mere thoughts. Whereas once the, the future comes, so to speak, into the present, it will be flesh and blood, all, all much with, with layers of depth that our thought about it doesn't have. So in a, in a fundamental way, it'll be different. Whatever you think it will be, it will always be something different. When regret becomes unwholesome, we should first distinguish whether the cause was based on something we did or said 
or on something we failed to do or say. If in the past we said or did something destructive, we can call that an error of commission. We did or said something with a lack of mindfulness and it caused harm. Sometimes we commit an error of omission. We did harm by not saying or doing what needed to be said or done, and that brought us regret and sorrow. Our lack of mindfulness was there, and its results are still present. Our pain, shame, and regret are an important part of that result. If we observe the present deeply and take hold of it, we can transform it. We do so by means of mindfulness, determination, and correct actions and speech. All these come about in the present moment. When we transform the present in this way, we also transform the past, and at the same time, we build the future. So he's, he's pointing here to the, to the uh, fact that regret can be healthy if we have made mistakes in the past, but that we can make changes in the present as, uh, in response to that regret and the, those um, mistakes that we made in the past. There's a um, story that Ajahn Brahm tells of a young woman who was um, in a car accident with, their, with her boyfriend. Um, she, she felt herself to be responsible for what happened. They'd both been drinking. And she was, she, the, after the boyfriend's death, she felt, felt deeply remorseful for what had happened. But instead of um, brushing aside uh, her sorrow and her, her remorse, she started to volunteer uh, in a, a rehabilitation center for people with uh, brain injuries serious brain injuries, many as a result of car accidents. And so she was, she turned, this is what we could call the transforming the past, where she turned it into something useful and exposed herself again and again to, to the kind of, of uh, injuries that she felt she had been responsible for and was able to help a lot of people. Through her, through her volunteering. You could say that this is why, why um, our recognizing collective mistakes is so important in terms of society. Um, the mistakes, the many multitudinous mistakes of colonialism, for instance that we, do, we must recognize these mistakes in order to be able to transform the present. And as he says, if we're doing this, we're also building the future. If we say that all is lost, everything is destroyed, or that the suffering has already happened, we do not see that the past has become the present. Of course, the suffering has already been caused, and the wound of that suffering can touch our very soul. But instead of lamenting about or, tr or suffering from what we have done in the past, we should take hold of the present and transform it. The traces of a bad drought can be only erased by a bountiful rainfall, 
and rain can only fall in the present moment. Buddhist repentance is based on the understanding that wrongdoing originates in the mind. Here is a gatha, gatha of repentance. And this is a, is a different one from the one we commonly use in our repentance ceremony. All wrongdoings arise because of mind. If mind is transformed, can any wrongdoing remain? After repentance, my heart is light, like the cloud floating free in the sky. Lovely, lovely last two lines. Last, after repentance, my heart is light, like the cloud floating free in the sky. Because of our mindful, lack of mindfulness, because our mind was obscured by desire, anger and jealousy, we acted wrongly. That is what is meant by all wrongdoings arise because of mind. But if the wrongdoing arose from our, arose from our mind, it can also be transformed within our mind. If our mind is transformed, then the objects perceived by our mind will also be transformed. Such transformation is available if we know how to return to the present moment. Once we have transformed our mind, our heart will be as light as a floating cloud and we will become a source of peace and joy for ourselves and others. Yesterday, perhaps out of foolishness or anger, we said something which made our mother sad. But today our mind is transformed and our heart light and we can see our mother smiling at us even if she is no longer alive. If we smile, within ourselves, our mother can also smile within us. One of the, the really positive outcomes that can come from repentance is, and you're really, really recognizing our, our mistakes of, of commission and omission, is that we, we uh, develop more humility and also compassion for others when they err. A classic example of this is um, uh, in AA where Alcoholics Anonymous where uh, participants in, in the sessions they have uh, become sponsors for the new new people and are able to uh, really walk alongside people struggling with addiction because they have themselves gone through that process of struggle and, and recognition of what is behind the, the addiction. If we can transform the past, we can also transform the future. Our anxieties and fears for the future make the present dark. There is no doubt that the future will be black too, because we know that the future is made up of the present. Taking care of the present is the best way to take care of the future. Sometimes, because we are so con concerned about what will happen the next day, we toss and turn all night, unable to sleep. We worry that if we cannot sleep during the night, we will be tired the next day and unable to perform to the best of our ability. The more we worry, 
and the more difficult it is for us to sleep. Our worries and fears for the future destroy the present. I think many, many, many of us have, have um, experienced this. Um, we don't drop off to sleep and then we're anxious about the fact that we're not dropping off to sleep. And, and it's, a, it's a classical example of, of um, uh, the way self-concern gets in our way. But if we stop thinking about tomorrow and just stay in bed and follow our breathing, really enjoying the opportunity we have to rest, not only will we savour the moments of peace and joy under the warm blankets, but we will fall asleep quite easily and naturally. That kind of sleep is a big help for those worried about making success the next day. This is really about, about dropping our, our um, self-concern freeing us from becoming, when going to sleep one has to, to forget the self, let the self go. That's this last little bit before we finish. When we hear that the forests of our planet are diseased and dying so rapidly, we may feel anxious. We are concerned for the future because we are aware of what is happening in the present moment. And the, the latest COP meeting is really an example of, of uh, a very discouraging situation where the, the response of our leaders is not, is not up to, to the demand that the situation, um, what the situation demands. Our awareness can, emot can motivate us to do something to halt the destruction of our environment. Obviously, our concern for the future is different from worry and anxiety, which only drain us. We have to know how to enjoy the presence of a beautiful, healthy tree in order to be able to do something to protect and preserve it. We, we have to nurture ourselves as we nurture the tree so that we are able to respond as needs to be, as, as, as call, uh, we are called upon to respond. Well, our time is up. Probably have one more talk out of this <laughs> the next time that we give Taisho. Uh, so we, rather than do the four vows now, we're just going to finish up with the, the healing chanting service that we um, customarily have on a, on a Tuesday night. Um, so just take a minute or two, we can t if we can turn up the lights and um, everybody already has a chant book, I guess. So. The teaching you have received is offered freely. If you would like to make a donation to support the continuation of this podcast service or learn more about practice opportunities at the Auckland Zen Centre, please visit www.aucklandzen.org.
www.org.nz